a perpetual traveler through the Bible. Please join me for the next part of my journey through the Scriptures. Stay as long as you like, and let us together discover a bit more about the Bible. Every Christian that I know of, myself included, have prayed at one time or another for the salvation of souls worldwide. Christians throughout the ages have also done so fervently. We have prayed for great revivals and great movings of God's Spirit, and we have prayed for individuals and families and cities and nations to come to Christ. All denominations have prayed that someday there would be a sweeping revival across the world that would bring millions of souls into the kingdom. One day it will come, and it will be the greatest manifestation of God's saving power in terms of the sheer numbers that the world has ever known. Now this should not surprise you because God desires to save. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 to 4 says, First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Saviour, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God desires all men to be saved, and that is why He gave Christ, and that is why He calls on us to pray. God is a saving God. That is His nature. 2 Peter 3 verses 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. In fact, throughout Scripture, God and Christ are characterized as our Savior, and that is why Jesus came. Christ even bears the name of Jesus, which means in Hebrew or Aramaic, Yahweh or Jehovah is salvation. So, as we come to the middle part of Revelation chapter 7, we come to a text in which we see God as Savior, saving people in numbers that have never been seen before. This is a time in future history when God's most massive saving work will take place in a very brief period, only seven years. We would want to call it the best of times, just like Charles Dickens says in his novel, The Tale of Two Cities, when God will be saving people in numbers never known before in that short space of time. But in fact, it is the worst of times. It will be the worst time in human history. It will be the day of Satan's full fury. It will be the time of the unleashing of demonic power all over the face of the earth, when the restraining influence of the Holy Spirit has been removed and sin runs absolutely unrestrained and wild. As we learned in episode 33 of Journey Through the Scriptures podcast, there will be a special group of Israelites who will be given a special mission during these last days of human history. What follows is the results of their ministry. Revelation 7 verses 9 to 14 states, what the results of their ministry will be. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. 
And then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Always keep in mind that whenever you are reading Revelation from chapter 4 onwards, that John is in heaven, and what he is seeing is from an eternal point of view. So there is no chronological sequence, no time limitation, no past, no future from God's perspective. From our limited earthly perspective, John is seeing events that are taking place at the close of the seven-year period. He seems to be seeing ahead to the end of the seven-year period, seeing a great multitude, too great to be counted, that has come through the Great Tribulation. They are not only Israelites, but come from every tribe, people, and language. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And here is a very important point. They have palm branches in their hands. When was the last time a crowd of people stood with palm branches in their hands, praising and welcoming Jesus as their King? Palm Sunday, of course. That is the day when Jesus rode on the back of a donkey down into the city of Jerusalem. In this vision of John, there is a clear prophetic link between the events of Revelation 7 and the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, which can be found in Matthew chapter 21 and Luke chapter 19. On that day, 2,000 years ago, the road was lined with men, women and children, shouting praise and laying palm branches in Jesus' path. Jesus came to fulfill Zechariah's ancient prophecy. Israel was given the opportunity to receive her king, but tragically the leaders of Israel rejected him. But Revelation chapter 7 describes the day when Jesus will be welcomed by a vast innumerable crowd of both Jews and Gentiles, people from across the earth. They will worship and welcome their king with palm branches, just as the throngs that lined the streets of Jerusalem did 2,000 years ago. Only this time, the king will not be rejected and crucified. Also, this event will mark the final restoration of Israel. Who are these uncountable masses of people from every race and nation? We know that they are all martyrs. They must have died for the sake of Christ during the tribulation. And they now appear before the throne of God as victors over death and hell, joining the angels in worshipping before the throne. So during the darkest hours of human history that is yet to come, the greatest harvest of souls the world has ever known will take place. Millions who have never heard the gospel today will one day be brought into the kingdom of heaven. This multitude will consist entirely of those who have never heard the gospel before the Lord's removal of the church and the beginning of the seven-year tribulation. Personally, I am convinced that those who have already heard the gospel and rejected prior to the beginning of the seven-year tribulation will have hardened their hearts against the gospel. This final harvest of a great multitude from around the world will be a harvest of those for whom the gospel is not only good news, but new news. It will be a gospel that they have never heard before. During these last terrible days of judgment, thousands who have never heard before will hear the gospel of the coming kingdom of God, and they will believe. The sad fact is that they will have to endure great persecution and suffering, and this will eventually cost them their lives. As we enter the later chapters of Revelation, we will learn that the powerful and vicious forces of the Antichrist will hunt down and destroy anyone who does not bear the mark of ownership by the Antichrist, the so-called 
mark of the beast. God's followers in those last days will refuse to bear this wicked mark, and they will pay the ultimate price for bearing witness to their faith in Jesus Christ. These faithful martyrs are mentioned again in Revelation 20. There we are told that those who were beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus will be raised from the dead to serve the Lord throughout His thousand-year reign. They will be given a spiritual ministry to perform on earth during the millennium. The description of the martyr's ministry is given in Revelation 7, verses 15 to 17. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun will not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Notice the throne and the temple. In fact, we find two thrones mentioned in this passage. Firstly, there is the throne of God. This is the throne of God the Father who reigns over all the universe. Secondly, this passage refers to He who sits on the throne and the Lamb in the midst of the throne, which points to the throne of Jesus on earth. If you remember back in Revelation 3 verses 21, Jesus says to the Laodicean church, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on his throne. The throne of Jesus is that throne which was promised when the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary to tell her of the birth of Jesus in Luke 1 verses 32. The angel said, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. The temple that is referred to in Revelation chapter 7 verses 15 is the millennial temple which is yet to be built in Jerusalem after Jesus' return, and worship will go on there day and night. Of course, in heaven, there is no night. This is the temple that is described by the prophet Ezekiel in the last chapters of his book. It is the temple where the nations will come to worship in the days during Jesus Christ's thousand-year reign over the earth. In the book of Micah, right at the end of the Old Testament, there is a beautiful description of this temple. Micah 4 verses 1 to 4 says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and it will be lifted above the hills, and the peoples shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples, and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. This is the fulfillment of the dreams and hopes of all the prophets of the past. Israel shall fill the earth with blessing, and the nation will be like a beautiful, fruitful vine, that runs its branches throughout the earth. Abraham was promised thousands of years ago that all nations of the earth shall be blessed because of his descendants, the people of Israel. In Isaiah 66, the Lord says that he will gather all nations and tongues to his holy mountain in Jerusalem to serve in his temple. At this moment of time in 2021, 
all people, both Jews and Gentiles, are under the care of the great shepherd of the sheep. Those who follow Christ are grateful for the care he gives to us. But we must never forget that the great shepherd has more than one fold. Jesus stated in John 10 verses 16 that, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. That is what takes place in Revelation 7. The Lord Jesus' other sheep will be brought into the fold, joining the sheep that have been saved by grace through faith during all the centuries of Old Testament and New Testament history, until just before the beginning of the Great Tribulation. These other sheep have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb, just as all other believers of the past and present have done. The intermission between the first six seals and the final seal of judgment ends here. Now a silence is about to fall over heaven, and the great and terrible events are about to commence once more. Angels are returning to center stage of the final drama of human history. In this series of podcasts about the book of Revelation, we have so far been following the unrolling of the seven-sealed scroll, which only the Lamb of God has the right to open by his death upon the cross. The title of that scroll, I believe, is The Mystery of God which Paul refers to in chapter 1 of his letter to the Colossian church. When we come to chapter 10 of Revelation, we will discover how that mystery will be completed, how God is going to bring about universal peace and joy to a sinful world. Today, by grace, God grants us peace in the midst of the trials by the offer of total forgiveness of sin. But to a world that rejects grace, God can only bring peace through judgment. Six of the seven seals have already been opened when we come to chapter 8, and through the eyes of John, we have witnessed the waves of successive judgments rolling across the earth. We also learned from the prophet Daniel that these judgments cover a seven-year period in the last days of this age. Under the seals, judgment is seen from one point of view. What happens when man is allowed to have his own way? All that God does is to take away the restraints and let human evil express itself fully. It is restricted slightly to one-fourth of the earth, but it is far more devastating than it is today. Revelation 8 verses 1 to 2 says, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Why is there silence? In Habakkuk 2 verses 20 it says, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. This silence is in contrast to the shouting of praise and the playing of harps that have been going on in heaven up to this point. Suddenly, everything stops. When the seventh seal is opened, there is total silence. It is the silence of intense anticipation of what is about to happen. It communicates in a dramatic way the full and awesome authority of God. Everything must wait for Him. The vision will now continue, with seven angels being given seven trumpets to sound. It is all part of the opening of the seventh seal. The angels who are given the trumpets are special. We are told that they are angels who stand before God. In the Gospel of Luke, an angel is sent to Joseph to tell him that Mary will be the mother of a child. The angel identifies himself as Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. These seven angels are probably archangels, and they are given an extremely important job of sounding these trumpets. They probably include Michael the archangel, who appears also in the book of Daniel. 
The apocryphal Book of Enoch, an ancient book which is not part of the Bible, mentions the name of all seven angels. They are Uriel, Raphael, Raguel, Michael, Sarakiel, Gabriel, and Phanuel. All their names all end in El, which is short for the name of God. So these are powerful angels of God who are given these trumpets to sound. Before they blow the trumpets, another dramatic event happens. It appears in Revelation 8 verses 3 to 5. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censure. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Many theologians and writers of Bible commentaries of Revelation identify this angel as Jesus himself. Their reasoning is that in the Old Testament, while Israel is marching through the wilderness, they are led by a great angel called the Angel of Yahweh, or the Angel of Jehovah. Many Bible scholars feel that it is an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ, that is, the Son of God himself, leading his people through the wilderness. Since Israel is the focus again in this book of Israel, then it would make sense that the angel of the Lord appears again in connection with that nation. The New Testament also teaches us that Jesus is a great high priest for his people in Hebrews 3 verses 1 and in Romans 8:34 that tell us that Jesus is our high priest who makes intercession for the saints. This is what this angelic priest is clearly doing here. He takes fire from the altar, adds it to incense along with the prayers of the saints, and offers them on the golden altar of incense before God. It is beautiful imagery that tells us more. It is beautiful imagery that tells us much about the function of prayer. The prayers of saints, especially intercessory prayers when we pray on behalf of others, are like a fragrance in the nostrils of God. They remind Him of the character of Jesus. And these prayers are mixed with the incense provided by the great angel himself. They delight God, and they move God to action. So if burning incense is symbolic of the prayers of saints who are asking God to act, then returning that fire to earth is a symbol of answered prayer. In other words, we have now come to the time when God will answer the prayers of His people. And what will be the result? Peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Remember, in Revelation 4 verses 5, these were the first sounds that John heard coming from the throne of God when he first entered heaven. He heard flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. Here an earthquake is added to that as well. These sights and sounds mark the close of man's age and the opening of God's kingdom upon earth. With the scroll fully open, heaven can now see the trumpet judgments and the bold judgments, which the seventh trumpet will introduce. These judgments are more terrible than anything the world will have ever seen. With the opening of the seventh seal comes a climax in the day of the Lord. Evil has had its day. Now the Lord will have His. This is David Wiles, your fellow traveler in Christ, and this has been the Journey Through the Scriptures podcast, episode 34.